Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Those famous words said by Benjamin Franklin. What is the state of liberty and safety in this country coming to the end of 2020? Here to weigh in is Phil Klein on the Falkirk Center podcast starting now. Hi, welcome to another Falkirk Center podcast here on the campus of Liberty University, where Christ is King, church is essential, and freedom is everything. And today I'm actually joined by the director of the Amistad Project. Uh, he is also a senior fellow with the Falkirk Center here on the campus of Liberty University and a Liberty University law professor. And uh, we're going to enjoy this conversation. So thank you so much, Phil Klein, for joining us. It's great to be here. Well, I, there are so many things that are happening right now at the end of 2020. Um, we started out this year much, much different as a country uh, and a different prospect in terms of our what we thought the outcome of 2020 would be economically, politically, even, uh, even when it comes to our personal liberties, right? Um, and so this thing really turned on us in many, many ways. I want to talk specifically about your involvement, the Amistad Project, uh, in the, um, you know, the battle for election integrity and across numerous states, kind of a post-mortem of what's happened. I mean, it's not completely over, obviously, right. and I want to talk about that, but I don't want to take anything for granted when it comes to the details because I think there's a lot of misinformation and misgivings. Um, and then you, you mentioned something off camera that I want to talk about as well, that uh, that expectation is a very difficult thing right now. Expect the unexpected when it comes to 2021, because everything, as you say, is uh, is outside of anything is anything but predictable, and is outside of uh, what normal policies and procedures would have been. Um, right. So, yeah. Well, I, I I think what what we saw is um, the left take advantage of what I'm concerned is the prevailing. Uh, emotion present in the United States today, and that's fear. You know, traditionally, as I was in, involved in politics, I started to see campaigning and elections and politics become about fear and false hope, because uh, you would claim that I could solve all your problems, therefore vest, you know, uh, your wealth and your vote in me, and at the same time, um, castigate those who opposed us as being the greatest fear being presented to America, but, but something shifted this election cycle, and it was that our nation started to look to government to solve its fears, and government doesn't have that role. You know, we, we heard all the talk about following science, and if science defined freedom and hope or fear was the primary role of government to protect us from our fear, I'd be drinking a green pureed drink that my daughter harvested from our front yard that was healthy for me, rather than being able to choose what I ate myself. In other words, science has never been about what ought to be. It is about what is. And morals are about what ought to be. And additionally, safety is not the primary function of our government, but rather to protect our intrinsic freedoms, our inherent freedoms, by recognizing each one of us has a value. That shifted in America today. 
And we became a frightened nation, and I saw it everywhere. And the left took advantage of that fear to promise what they can't deliver and also to greatly restrict our freedoms um, and to alter the election process. And so that's deeply concerning to me. I, I did not think that that would be possible in the nation of freedom-loving people. Mm. But we, we gave away our freedoms. Yeah, absolutely. And real quick, and I, I really, when we talk about the ought to be uh, versus the actually, uh, even for Christians, uh, we, we deal in biblical realism, what I, a term that has been thrown around. But in a Genesis 3 fallen world, what ought to be is Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah. What ought to be was very, very early in Scripture. And then sin enters in, everything falls apart and unravels. But then hope comes. We were celebrating the Christmas season, the incarnation, the Word became flesh. We live in a post-Acts 2 reality as a church. And so we're still in a fallen world, uh, in an already but not yet kingdom. The actuality of the kingdom has not been fully realized, but we're seeing um, that the gospel has made its way in the world, but things have not been perfected yet, fully consummated. We don't have a new heavens and a new earth. And so help us to think through, in this present context with this election, many Americans are, are um, being misled, I think, by information uh, in the media. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation, uh, you know, in terms of the outcomes and where, where we are currently. And then um, is there any hope that this could be challenged in early January? The election? Yes. Um, well, I think that there is, uh, but it is highly unlikely. Okay. And the, the people who need to step forward, if the court does not, and I think the court is very reluctant yeah. to step into this process, are state legislators. Because... First of all, their burden is much different than how the media, ha media has betrayed it. It's not whether there is evidence of enough fraud to overturn the election. It's whether the election was lawful, and it was not. Mm. Laws were violated in each of these swing states intentionally by local officials uh, in, in such a way that it makes it extraordinarily difficult to prove the fraud. Mm. Um, let, me, let me just give you an example. Yeah. Um, most Americans don't realize in these counting centers, what is happening is, uh, amongst other things, that the election officials are actually casting ballots for people who are not there. Mm -hmm. So if there's a, a ballot that the machine cannot read, they then set that ballot aside. And they're the ones who determine whether the machine can read it or not. Mm -hmm. They set it aside and then they have a group of inspectors who look at that ballot and complete a new one. They're actually filling out a ballot for a person who's not there. When they complete it, they cast it and they count it. And so the law says you have to have a Republican and a Democrat watch that process. Because that's where you prevent the fraud, is you have vested interests, eyes on, preventing somebody from saying, oh, that looks like a Biden vote when it was a Trump vote, or right. vice versa. Once that is done, it's very hard to go back and figure out what actually happened. But guess what they did? They kicked the Republicans out of the counting room. Right. I, I don't know if you remember this. Um, Bush v. Gore, you're rather young. I do remember it. I was, now, I was in high school, and, but I do remember when it was highly contested. Uh, and I remember it, it lasting more than a month. And uh, I was in Dallas at the time. And by the way, uh, it was, I think it was on the second, I actually went to high school in downtown Dallas. And Halliburton had offices on the second floor of Lincoln Plaza, and I'll never forget a motorcade 
of uh, a Secret Service stopping by in Dick Cheney, who was not yet vice president elect, but still had Secret Service detail assigned because yeah, it was, was still a, in question, yeah, yeah, sure. had, had made a visit there. And I, I'll never forget all of my classmates looking out the window and said, oh my goodness, he's right across the street. But that, um, you know, for many of us, we weren't really, the older you are, the more you pay attention. Well, you know, I, I'll tell you yeah. what you will remember yeah. is holding up the, you know, and looking at the hanging chad, the dimple yes. chad. You remember all yeah. that debate? I remember Saturday Night Live spoof of that more so than anything else. Well, it was Al Gore on, on Saturday Night Live. Is it? It's a hanging Chad problem, you know. Well, that, that was whole pretty thing. good Al Gore. That was yeah. decent Al Gore. But, but I remember that. Yeah. Well, the, the, the main memory of that yeah. is we were in the counting room, uh -huh. which is the way it should be. Elections should be transparent. And everybody in America had an opinion as to whether a hanging Chad should be counted as a vote. Mm -hmm. We were kicked out of the counting room this time. Mm -hmm. We weren't there. There were boarded up windows. And the people who were inside were paid by a billionaire. Mm who funneled over $419 million into this election, more than the federal government set aside for the states. So we had a shadow government operating this election. And that's why when you ask about predictions, it's almost impossible to say, because what we experienced was unprecedented. The consolidation of the counting rooms, the midnight ballot drops of hundreds of thousands of ballots, the work stoppages, which don't occur in a modern democracy. They occur in third world countries where there are rigged elections because you stop the count to figure out how many votes you need. Yes. And so it's, it's never happened in the United States before like this on several fronts. Local officials intentionally defying laws, openly stating that they don't believe in the voter identification rules and then working their way around it in states. Um, it's wrong. It's flat out wrong, and that's why a majority of Americans don't believe that the election was conducted fairly, because it wasn't. And, and we have another um, uh, difficulty that we're facing this time around that we haven't faced before, and that's censorship. That's right. extensive, willing censorship, a belief that the American people are not smart enough to discern the truth, so we're going to block them from having access to certain information. Yes. That's, that's frightening, Ryan. Mm. I never thought I'd see it. I never thought I would see journalists advocating mm. censorship. Yes. But they have this time. Right. And the combination, I think, is, one, it's demonstrated to me our institutions are failing. The American institutions are failing right now. They have lost their way. And secondly, public trust in those institutions, correspondingly, is, is uh, diminishing. Yeah. And, and that's a frightening prospect for the future. So when you ask me what's going to happen by January 20th, I can tell you that parties at play, the Supreme Court should step in, but they're too frightened. Mm. And I believe that uh, Bush v. Gore violations, that's disparate impact, treating voters differently based upon um, where they reside or, or their gender or race in the past was the concern, but this time it's where they reside. There was a two-tier election system where because of Zuckerberg money in the urban core, voters were wined and dined and given gifts to vote and people came by and picked up their ballots right. while in the traditional Republican areas. Uh, you couldn't find a polling place open. They consolidated them or shut them down. You didn't have drop boxes. Uh, I'll give you just one example. In Delaware yeah. County, strong Democrat area, 
south of Philly, Zuckerberg put a box, one every four square miles. That's two miles by two miles square. Plus, they had mobile pickup units. So in Delaware County, your vote was going to get counted. Right. And, and it's a Democrat stronghold. Yeah. In the 59 counties that Trump won hmm. in 2016 in Pennsylvania, there was one drop box for every 1,159 square miles. It's amazing. So if you're, if you're in Republican country, look, go on a weekend vacation and try to find Waldo. If you're in a Democrat stronghold, we'll pick it up. Plus, we'll give you food. We'll give you T-shirts. We'll wine and dine you for voting. Wow. That's not right. Mm. And that's what happened this election. The Supreme Court should have stepped in, but they're too fearful. They, they don't want to deal with it. Um, the other groups that should step in are the Republican-controlled legislatures in each state. Yeah. But, but here's, here's a, a remarkable irony about all this. And I think it kind of reflects on, unfortunately, how we do a lot of politics today. The United States Constitution vests the authority and responsibility of choosing the presidential electors in the state legislatures. Mm -hmm. So after the election is done, you would think that the legislature would meet, review how the election was conducted, and ensure that it was done according to law, and you could have faith in the result. But in these swing states, the legislatures can't even meet. They're prohibited by their state law from meeting after the election until they start their new session in January. In other words, until all the electors are certified and vote on the president, they can't even meet right. to discuss the election. Now, we're going to challenge that. We think that's wrong. We think they ought to meet. They, they have the constitutional responsibility. But I also believe, you know, politics has become about taking credit without having responsibility. Right, absolutely. You, you know, and having accountability. And so it's, it's real easy to say, oh, we're going to make sure that the election is fair and then make sure that you don't have to meet to make a judgment about the, whether the election was fair. I mean, that's... So politics me. is similar to being a social justice warrior in 2020. It's the right to have the sentimentality without having to pay for it. Oh, gosh. And so that's, that's where we are as a culture and as a society. Politics, uh, politicians take credit for things that are, they never do. And ultimately, uh, you know, on the other side of it, to be woke in 2020 is to have the feelings, to feel the feels, but never have to pay for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think, unfortunately, that's been the leadership in our nation generally for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, we've nationalized too many issues. Mm -hmm. we've, we've sold our votes cheaply in the sense that we don't hold our elected officials accountable. We, we also are members of all of these acronym organizations, and everybody watches the backyard and nobody watches the horizon. And that's concerning to me, particularly at this time when these police powers have been used We've, we've undergone one of the greatest shifts of wealth in this nation's history with the shutdowns. Big box stores, internet uh, uh, businesses are thriving. Yes. The small mom and pop stores are being, they're going out of business. Right. And, and Americans have primarily, and I'm afraid to say this, or, or they've focused on self. Maybe yeah. it hasn't hurt them as dramatically as it's hurt others. But I'll tell you something that is occurring out there. This flatten the curve has become crush the dream. Oh, and, yeah. And the impact yeah. is dramatic across this nation in so many ways. The entrepreneurial spirit is being sucked out of people yeah. who took a risk, tried to build a business, tried to provide for their employees and provide for their families. Um, and instead, it's being replaced with government keep me safe and keep me fed and provide circuses 
and I'm okay. We're, we're trading away our freedom at an astonishing rate. Yes. And we're not challenging these folks enough to preserve our freedom. So it's, it's a frightening time. There, there are some good, well-meaning, well-intentioned uh, conservatives who I think have wrongly, in this particular moment, believed some of the narrative, not all, and haven't bought it wholesale, but some of the narrative with regard to the lockdown. I think it's the one thing that has worked well on both sides, regardless of your ideology. What's interesting is that, um, and I mean that in the sense of public health and safety, many conservatives who really do believe the engineered, um, well-curated uh, content by uh, many of the major news corporations and tech giants regarding COVID cases. So not saying that the virus isn't, doesn't present, present a threat or danger to public health or safety. I'm not saying it does, but it, it is the way you hear it uh, being presented, you would think that we're losing a quarter, if not half our population. You would think that the number of cases uh, are, are directly correspond to uh, just a, a huge number of, of deaths. As it stands, uh, by the end of the year, um, it is very likely that the death rate, if it increases, it'll only increase ever so much by the sheer number of those who died, uh, who were going untreated, uh, who were being isolated, suicide, overdose, those things, uh, but not the virus itself. This is very interesting. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I don't believe a nation should quarantine the healthy. Mm. It should protect the vulnerable. Yeah. And anytime these powers have been used in the past to quarantine the healthy, it's a, it's a dark stain on United States history. It was done to Japanese Americans. Yes, in World terms, War II. Yeah. Um, it was done in the eugenics movement when mm. certain people who were considered to have bad genes were of bad health for our society and therefore had to be sterilized against their interest. Mm. Um, these powers are not supposed to be exercised at a time when the legislature can function. Mm. Um, I, I love it when they say follow the science. Then why aren't we having public hearings about proposals before the legislature to discuss the science? Right. What all they're saying, all these executives are saying, and, and it matches the arrogance of Governor Whitmer of Michigan. I remember when she issued a news release that said, my orders have saved hundreds or tens of thousands of Michiganders. And I thought, my goodness, you believe it was necessary to threaten your fellow residents of your state with jail rather than ask them to respect the interests of others and engage in common sense uh, protection. You had to threaten them with jail to save lives. That's untrue. In fact, if you go back, what you see is you see that these same health experts that are demanding that the nation uh, radically change itself and, and that people suffer through this economic hardship and isolation and that you can't visit your loved one as they're dying or you can't celebrate a graduation. The, before COVID, we're saying that lockdowns are a bad choice, mm -hmm. a bad choice. Um, many of the states, some of the states who engaged in a more respectful attitude towards freedom and towards Americans believing that they will make wise decisions have done very, very well mm. without these continued um, tyrants yeah. controlling every aspect of your life. And here's a couple of things concerning about that to me. First of all, 
When you wake up in the morning and declare yourself no longer to be part of the lawmaking process, right. but to be the law, I am the law. Therefore, what I decide shall be, and if you disagree, you're going to jail. And that law covers every aspect of human relationship, who you can have over for Thanksgiving dinner, whether you're five feet, 11 inches apart from somebody or six feet, one inches, whether your mask covers your mouth or your mouth and nose, all of those aspects that you can't enforce it. There's no police force large enough nor willing to enforce it. Soviet Union discovered this. Well, they, yeah. they, they did, but who did they enforce it against? Yeah. You enforce it against those who raise their voice in opposition. Right. And you look out across America right now, who is suffering the heavy hand of the state? Anybody who says the state is wrong. That's who they target. It's not about safety. It's about authority. That's why Governor Whitmer would declare that our client, One Nation, which is urban black pastors coming together to reject cancel culture, she declared that they cannot meet or they go to jail. They cannot march or they'll go to jail while she marched with Black Lives Matters. Right. Because it's not about science. Right. It's about authority. And you don't challenge the authority of these people or they're coming to get you, like Barbara Carl Manke who challenged the authority and they were going to take away his license for something he'd done for 60 years and put him in jail. Mm. When no COVID case comes from there, it's like the Christian school that we represent in Michigan Mm. who challenged the local authority and therefore they've now issued nine new orders, have threatened the teachers with jail time and there was one COVID case of one teacher that hasn't spread Mm. and they've shut down the school. You know, it, it, it reminds me of the quote of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. First they came for, but I was not. Then they came for, but I was not. Right. And eventually when they came for, for me, me, there was no one left to speak. That's right. America has been free because we have cherished not only our freedom, but the freedom of our neighbors and the freedom of people we do not know. And we are losing that now. And I, I'll just add this as it relates to these governors. The legislature can function. Mm -hmm. They're not in a bunker. They haven't been decimated by war. All of these ideas can be put forth before a legislative body, which is what we typically do. When did we lose faith in democracy? Mm -hmm. When when did we lose that faith? Um, I, I I am frankly stunned by the number of people who have remained silent as individuals are suffering because of these uh, these governors who declared themselves to be the law. You know, it's interesting as uh, everything that you're saying, amen, and a thousandfold, I, I, there's so much there to unpack. One of the things that I think is interesting over the past decade, do you ever remember a Congress that ever had an approval rating higher than 30%? No. I don't think I don't think we have. And so it's interesting that if you think the most feeble body in government right now is the, the is the more popularly elected, uh, you know, uh, chamber that is elected every two years that it, I think their approval rating all hovers around 10 percent, maybe. 
Uh, and so that's so and it doesn't matter if it's Republican or Democrat who's in control. Most people are unhappy because Congress doesn't get anything done. And I think uh, over time we've changed so much of what Congress well, you, does. You know, that yeah. was by design. By, by design. <laughs> I mean, that, that was the intent. Yeah. So um, let me let me say this real fast because you're exactly right. But I'll just say this like we expect the executive office to do everything by fiat to whether it be Republican or Democrat to, to do, sign a hundred or two hundred or even a thousand executive orders and uh, and then to basically have for all practical intents and purposes a dictator who's term limited and the dictator comes in and you're the sovereign and you just say whatever you want and you're the president and you just sign it all into law and and, and here you go uh, and then uh, we'll see what we can, we can, we'll have the courts determine which is right or wrong in the matter. And then the, the, the legislature is just sitting by and uh, every six to nine months we'll re-up the debt. And that's basically what they do. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's unfortunate because w one of the primary failings of Congress yeah. is with the nationalization of every issue, which also uh, threatens freedom. You know, it, it, Congress wasn't designed to run every aspect of your life. No. And what we do now is any issue that is of concerning to us at the local level, we demand a national response to. And because national media plays such a central role in reporting on Congress, that to be relevant, every congressman has to introduce a bill uh, relating to every issue that might occur out there. I, uh, let me give you a yeah. little study I did. I remember. When I was in the state legislature, there was a, a tragedy. It was a, an elderly gentleman in California who fell asleep at the wheel and drove through a farmer's market and killed some people. Um, that's a tragedy. You know, can government prevent it? Um, probably only if they kept us locked up and eliminated vehicles. Right. But, but in any event, everybody felt they needed to do Coming something. Coming to a future legislative body near you, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they felt that they had right. to do something. Yeah. And so I did a little study and there were over 300 bills introduced in a week, many of them at the national level, some yeah. banning farmers markets, some creating barricades that, that would prevent a car from coming through, which made me think we probably ought to do it for playgrounds too. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you know, and ball fields, uh, who knows? Um, and some banning seniors from ever driving, some uh, requiring uh, some type of report if you, if you had a medical condition that might cause you to sleep, that would go into a national database, that uh, everything was nationalized. And again, Congress promising we've solved the problem by introducing a bill or passing a bill. It's, it's so bad that I'm surprised Congress hasn't passed a bill that says we're all to be taller, have a full head of hair, be wise, be happily married, and have a guaranteed income uh, and be happy. And then giving it to the executive to administer it however they want. That's what Congress does now. They pass ideas or slogans as bills and give it to the executive, which then creates all kinds of law underneath it, much of it nonsensical, much of it impossible to enforce and arbitrary in application. This is manifested. When, when we were founded as a nation, mm -hmm. we had 58 crimes, federal crimes. You know how many we have now? Nobody knows. Congress asked the Congressional Research Service to yeah. number them, the federal crimes. They came back after two years and said, we cannot. Yes. It's hundreds of thousands. I guarantee you, 
I was a former attorney general, former district attorney. Mm -hmm. I can make you a felon. If I looked hard enough, I can make you a felon. And now what we see are the laws are being used as tools for one political enemy to attack the other political enemy. Mm -hmm. and, and when that political enemy becomes the people, right. somebody standing up and saying that's wrong, this gym owner goes to jail. This barber loses his ability to provide for his yeah. family. This, this church pastor gets retaliation where they take away a lease for his parking lot that he had from the city. Sure. Yes, yeah. we, we, we use government authority mm -hmm. to punish those who stand up against government. Mm -hmm. And it's happening increasingly, mm -hmm. and America needs to put a stop to it. It's so bad, um, and I'm, I'm ashamed of my profession. The Attorney General of Michigan threatened legislators who didn't agree with her on the results of the election with criminal investigation and prosecution. Mm. The chief law enforcement officer of the state saying, I'm going to prosecute a legislator because they disagree with me on the outcome of the it's election. It's amazing. It's incredible. And, and the Bar yeah. Association didn't say anything. Right. No, no, lawyers didn't rise up and say that's enough. Yes. Um, that's deeply concerning. We are losing our way. Ken Starr, I think it was Ken Starr or somebody, several years ago um, submitted their tax returns with a note. I, I don't remember if it was him or somebody else, but basically saying, I think this is mostly correct. There's no way to determine whether they are or not because tax law is so complex these days. Um, and so when you articulate, that's just one part of federal regulations, right? And then you think about all these various departments. I mean, all, you know, everything from... Uh, health and human safety to fish and wildlife and parks and everything else. There are so many regulations at the federal level. The state bodies all have their various regulations. Right. And there are a lot of ways in which reg could be, it could be codified, it could be in a book, passed in a law, and then years later there's a legal challenge that actually says, actually that's not constitutionally correct, but we had to have a case to challenge it to overturn it. What's happening, it seems like, Phil, is that in every which way we're, we're losing freedom, largely because people are not standing up, but then people are running the table. So if you have uh, those who are in power uh, in executive offices wanting to challenge this, they can get so far in you know hundreds of different ways where they're violating the Constitution, but nobody's actually challenging it. There's too many cases to try. Yeah, it's, it, uh, it's, it's a racket, yes. quite frankly. And, and I'll give you another story yeah. mm -hmm. from my experience as a legislator. I remember I, I was on the Rules and Regulations Committee, and that's the committee that overviews or uh, reviews the rules and regs by the state agencies. And we have the authority, because we're the ones who pass the laws enabling the regulations, to pull some of that back. Mm -hmm. And one of the first meetings I was at, I was a freshman, um, was the barbering board. And there were a stack of regulations taller than you and I standing on each other's shoulders. Yeah. And my hand went up right away, but the chairman, you know, freshman, freshman. So I, I have to keep my hand up for about four hours. And finally, he calls on me. And I turned to the guy and I said, how many people have died from a haircut, a haircut in Kansas? Mm -hmm. Now, there was kind of a groan. And he said, well, nobody. Right. Well, my point, why do we have them? I mean, really, before you go in and get your haircut, do you check and see if the state license is on the wall to make sure that you're safe? Can I interject one thing right here? Uh, just real fast, when I was working for uh, former Governor Matt Bevan of Kentucky, 
there was a board on to investigate licensure within the state and state compacts and things like that. So I was on that board. And one of the things we looked at is paramedics could be licensed for something like, I, I'm just going to throw a number out there, less than 500 hours. It took 2,000 hours at cosmetology school to get, a, to get a licensure to cut hair in the state of Kentucky. You could save somebody's life for less than 500 hours. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, this is basically to no, keep people out of the profession. It's, it's That's market it protection. Is. That is, is what it, it is. is. And the barbers support it. Now, historically, yeah. you know, the red in the barber pole is because they used to let blood. And that's why they were originally licensed. But they don't do that anymore. Right. And, and you really don't need that on the wall to feel safe in the chair. Sure. Um, but you're absolutely right. And I did a little study, Ryan. I, I went back and I looked. And I was raised by a single mother. And she raised five of us on her own by starting a small business. And the business she started, she could not start today because of regulation. There, right. there is absolutely no way she could. But I took a, an example of a barber. In 1963, cost about $200 to start a business. If you're good, word of mouth, you know, you could do it in your home back then, a uh, pair of scissors, and you're off mm -hmm. to the races. Today, over $30,000. You've got to go to school for a year to learn something you already know how to do. Um, that's deferred income plus tuition. You can't do it in your home. You have to have this facility. By the way, the people who manufacture the hoses that's suck up the hair, yeah. got in a big fight with the broom makers about what is safe and how bacteria is harbored. So you, they've got those now in the barber shops and, mm -hmm. and the antiseptic folks are in there lobbying that you have to have this particular product to keep things. Yeah. It's, it's a racket. Yeah. Government has become business. Absolutely. And big business is, is more interested in relationship and government to harm their competitors or to get the tax break or to protect their market than they are free market, entrepreneurism, freedom, and so forth. And because of that, you drive up to Washington, D.C., and you've got, I mean, office building after office building after office building yeah. of all these people who are telling us how to educate our children. Mm. When, when education occurs where a parent, a teacher, and a child interact, not in Washington, D.C., oh, yeah. they're telling us how our hair is going to be cut, um, you know, whether, whether you can put sand clean sand in a former mosquito ditch that once had water or whether that is polluting a navigable waterway of the United States in violation of the Clean Water Act, it's, it's a disaster. Yeah. And it is profit making and market protection and the wealth of this nation is all being pulled up into Northern Virginia and Washington, D.C. And by the way, during this entire time of lockdown, they didn't suffer any job loss or any loss of income, right? They were just furloughed and with pay. And, and uh, look and, at us, yeah. we're still living. That's right. I mean, the that's, government it, shut down and we're still that's living. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, you're exactly right, though. Let me ask you this, and just kind of to, to summarize and to wrap up, in 2021, I know you can't predict these things, but what... Um, it, you know, there's no crystal ball here, but humble. What are what do you project happening uh, after, say, January 20? A possible possible Biden Harris administration, um, executive orders, uh, possibly a new legislature, new legislature. Where well, I think I think what you see yeah. is a is an entrenched belief that they are more wise mm. than most Americans that they have the better choices to make for the rest of us, mm -hmm. um, that most of us are irresponsible in exercising our freedom. Mm 
and that we need to be protected from ourselves. That's why you see support for censorship on social media. Mm -hmm. um, that's essentially what the governors on the left have been saying for some time. That's what uh, the president-elect, Mr. Biden, has said when he started campaigning in September on a mask mandate in January, mm -hmm. that he would know better than the rest of us what was needed at that time. Um, there is an incredible paternalistic uh, arrogance about this incoming administration that is deeply concerning if you're a freedom lover. Yes. Um, and, and the left has fallen in love with these emergency police powers. You see them mm -hmm. wanting to declare uh, gun violence emergencies, right. declare environmental emergencies, um, which would result in, again, harming private property. I believe if you operate a business, that's your private property, and government has essentially taken it yes. for the past eight months mm -hmm. um, or nine months. Yes. Yeah. And, and so I think it's we're going to see more much, of yeah. that, and we're going to see more appeals to fear, mm. uh, to generate policy. And why not? It's a tool that's working. It is, it is the most dominant uh, emotion that is expressed as I've traveled around the nation in the past several months working on election integrity. Business owners fearful. I can't speak up because they've regulated me to the point that they can shut me thread. down. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, we are a fearful nation. Yeah. And I'm afraid that the left will take advantage of that fear, mm. continue to. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Phil, for all you're doing with the Amistad Project, uh, also here at the Falkirk Center and uh, at Liberty University. Uh, you're a true patriot, loving this country, uh, and I thank you so much for your, le your thought leadership in a moment where we're really needing um, some help thinking through these issues. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure being with you.